Well, as we continue this time in our series called Acts, I'm excited about this morning because what a powerful message that change is in the heart and the life of Christians everywhere. Because if you've been a Christian, then that means that you have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am... Um, some of you are not going to believe this, okay? I'm looking around to look at color of hair and age, and, and there are some people here in the sanctuary this morning that you have no idea what I'm about to say. Just hang in there with me. You'll, you'll get there. See, a long, long time ago, you used to have to plan on how to get somewhere before you got into the car. <laughs> you used to have to... Use something called maps and, 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 and figure out where something was and then, and then where you were and then follow the, the streets in order to get there. You had to have a mental map of, of your surroundings. And, and so when you got into the car, you knew not only where you were going to go, but how you were going to get there. Now, I know some of you can't believe that this morning, but it's true. It's true. And... And so when I was dating my wife, Claudia, it was really true back then. And, and so one day I was about 17 years old and I, I, started, uh, I started out, I was going to, well, you know, we got to a point in our relationship where it was time to take it to another level. We had been going to Quell Spring Mall and dinner, but it was time to take it to the next level, class it up a bit. Penn Square Mall it is. That's right. Classy. And so I, I took off and I, I picked Claudia up. She was looking beautiful. And I was gonna, I was gonna take her out to eat and I was gonna go to Penn Square Mall with her. We we're gonna have a wonderful evening. And we began driving out to Penn Square Mall and uh, from Edmond, we drove down I-35. It was time to get onto the turnpike to, to get over around back, back wherever it is, you know, we were doing the thing. Something happened. I merged onto the turnpike, and things to my wife, to my date there, didn't look very familiar. And she said, Are you sure you're going the right way? Listen, I know we're dating, but yes, don't question me. I know where we're going, I know how to get there. You just sit back and relax, baby. I got things figured out. About another five minutes, the stuff started not looking familiar to me. <laughs> I, I suddenly realized that we weren't going the right way. But I, I chose not to say anything for a second because I was like, where is an exit on the turnpike if you're going back east into the north? As it turns out, there's not. <laughs> What was supposed to be just a, a quick 10 minutes down and, and around turned into, into 30 minutes up and 30 minutes back. I realized at some point during our journey that I was going to have to come clean. The fact that I had made the wrong decision, even though I was so adamant that I was going the right way. It doesn't matter how confident, it doesn't matter how much I, I wanted to believe, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter how much 
I, tr- I used to try to uh, convince my, my girlfriend that I was going the right way. Nothing could make it go the right way except turning around and coming back. And I had to drive all the way back, all those places that I had seen that were the wrong way. And it was like rubbing salt into a womb. And she said, let me, let me tell you something. That was a quiet trip. That was a quiet trip. It was there that I knew I had found my wife. <laughs> it was quiet. But we had a, a wonderful rest of the evening. We just didn't have very long to class it up at Penn Square. You see, I wonder how many people go through their life not realizing that they're going the wrong way, but they're 100% confident in it. I I wonder if there's somebody out there that, that realizes maybe that you're going the wrong way, but you're scared to admit it this morning. You're, you're scared to admit that, that what, you, what you had is, isn't working out. Yeah, you might have got married, started a family, started a career. You're, you're doing everything that you know how to do, except you got a little bit down the road and you start realizing that things are starting to fall apart and you don't have a, a, as good a control on it as you thought you did. And right now, you're not exactly sure how to admit that to yourself to the people around you. And for sure, you're not 100% sure how to admit that to the Lord. But right now, I want you to know that there are people everywhere in this room that at one point in time, were going the wrong way. You were going the wrong way with your life and it took something different to take you back the right way. And that is a wonderful segue and to the person we're talking about this morning, Saul of Tarsus. This man was an incredible figure, writing most of the New Testament, and we look back and we see the background of his story was pretty incredible too. He was born of uh, some parents that probably owned some land, and because he was not only of Jewish lineage, but he was granted Roman citizenship. And so scholars believe that his family owned land and was included in Roman citizenship for the land. And and so he received a special dual citizen status right there. Then he began to learn the family trade, probably tent making, and and he worked with his father learning how to make tents, but then we find out something, that he was incredibly intelligent. Intelligent enough to to grab a seat at a a predominant school, sitting at the feet of one of the uh, foremost educators, Gamaliel. And he was an educator in the Pharisaical tradition. He was a Pharisee. And so Paul, or excuse me, Saul grew up under this teaching, under this instruction. And he was a hotshot. He knew what he wanted to do with his life, and he dedicated himself to learning. He dedicated himself to study. He was on track to become very significant. And in fact, he would and did become very significant. He he attained one of the 12 seats that the Pharisees had. uh, The Pharisees were like a middle-class representation of the people that found balance between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were kind of more upper class and, and, 
And Saul was representing the people. And so he enjoyed favor from the people. He enjoyed uh, leadership. He enjoyed study. And he was bound and destined for greatness, leading, uh, helping to lead the people of God. The problem was simply this, that he saw Jesus, maybe and probably even heard Jesus speak and did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe Jesus was the Christ. And so he was glad that Jesus was put on a cross. He was glad that Jesus was killed and did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead like, his, like the believers in Christ said he did. And so he went out not to persecute the believers, he went out to prosecute. He went out to lock up and imprison all the followers of Christ. And you know what? He did something more. He went out and anybody preaching the name of Jesus, he was going to allow the full weight of the law to come down on them up to, and in fact, including stoning them to death. And that's where we pick up Saul's story. The first martyr, the first one that is recorded to die for the cause of Christ, the stoning of Stephen. We find this in Acts chapter seven, starting in verse 58, when it says, his accusers, meaning Stephen's, took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was present, leading the way the whole time against the followers of Jesus Christ. You see, he was convinced that the followers at that time they were called the way were heretical, that, that Saul was doing something as a favor to God. Not only was he just doing something that he thought was right, he thought he was doing something as a favor to God by snuffing these people out, rooting them out and bringing them back to pure and true religion and knowledge and belief in God, not in Jesus. But there we find Saul on his way to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus because he had just spoken to the, to the leaders and asked their permission written down so that he could imprison people that believed in Jesus, that preached Jesus, and take them back to Jerusalem in chains. And that's where we come to uh, Acts chapter 9 in verse 3. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on, the, on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What a powerful encounter. And I want to sit on this passage of scripture just for a moment so that we can get what we're supposed to get out of this. You see, family, there are times in our life where we are seeking for Christ. We are searching for him. We're looking for him. And the Bible says, if you seek my face, you'll find it. If you'll knock, the door will be open. And here, we believe that when you're looking for Jesus, you'll find him. But then, in this moment, and this time, we find out that Saul wasn't seeking Jesus at all. Jesus found him. He came to him. I, I don't know about you, but there are some people in this room that may ha not have been looking for Jesus in their life. 
You've been doing your business. You've been going about things your way. And then suddenly Jesus came to you. He rescued you. He picked you up. He, he took you out of that storm in your life. He turned you around. I, I can't help but think of that song, uh, uh, Love Lifted Me. It's an old song. Some of y'all won't know this. It says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from that peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more, but the master of the sea. <laughs> Aren't you thankful that the master hears Heard my despairing cry from the waters lifting me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. And in that moment, love came to Saul. He came to him. And, and I want you to know that Jesus can be found when you're looking for him, but Jesus can find you in a moment. No matter where you're, what you're doing, no matter where you're going, no matter if you're going to sin against him, if you think you're doing the right thing, if you think that everything is in, in line, he can come and he can intervene in your life. He's one that loves you in spite of who you are and in spite of what you're doing. He loves you this morning. So Saul thought he was gonna, he thought he was doing the Lord a favor, but in fact, he was sinning against God, and, and in this moment, Jesus came, and he turned his life upside down. We serve a God that doesn't always wait for us to reach out to him. He reaches out for us. As a matter of fact, he reaches out for us 100% of the time. You might be sitting here thinking, no, that's not how it went in my life, Pastor John. See, see God never spoke to me audibly. I, I never saw that great flash of light across my eyes. I, I didn't come to Jesus in that way. I, I wanna show you in scripture that each and every one of us are born into sin. And that even if we try to reach out to God with our own good intentions and our own good ways, it, it just doesn't work out. It doesn't look right. You see, the Bible tells us in John chapter six, verse 44, for no one can come to me, unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at that last day, I will raise them up. See, Jesus allows his Holy Spirit to draw people to him. And that honors God. I think sometimes we get the idea about, about God in a wrong way. I think sometimes, even as Christians, we think that God is some, playing some kind of cosmic hide-and-seek with us. That if that we look for him and, and we can't find him, and then, and then we got to pray and ask God, and, and we're, we constantly are looking and, and, and trying to find who God, where God is and what is he up to, but God has made himself known to us. We don't have to play hide-and-seek because he's not playing hide-and-seek with us. God wants us to know him. He comes to us and he causes us to know him in a powerful way through his Holy Spirit. And then we find out in verse four that in response to this encounter that Saul falls to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, Saul fell to the ground not out of worship, not out of reference, not to fall prostrate before God, but instead he fell to the ground out of fear for his life. Out of fear. 
Can I tell you this morning something? That, that when we have a real encounter with God, we see who we are. We see that we are not worthy to be standing in the presence of God Almighty. See, the gospel is very clear. It's not just a message that you can know God. It's a message that you can't know God apart from Jesus Christ. It's a message that you are born into sin, that we cannot reach God in our own effort. We can't reach out to God in our own understanding, but we require, we need a Savior. You see, many people think, that if you seek God, you'll find God without coming to God on his terms. We think that if we just begin to be a good person, if we can just work our way into heaven, if we can just live a right life, then that will bring us closer to God. But that couldn't be further from the biblical truth. When we encounter God's spirit, when we encounter God's presence, we find out something very clearly, that we are sinful, utterly sinful in our lives and that we need a savior. Friend, it's not just you. We are in trouble. The Bible tells us that there's not one that's perfect. Not one. As a matter of fact, when we try to offer up the best that we have, Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 tells us what that looks like to God. It says we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither, wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. We can't stand before a holy and righteous God that sits on his throne and judges our life. We can't stand in the presence of God Almighty because we are not pure. We are not holy like he is. It takes something, it takes someone to speak through that fear and reach us down to the very core of who we are. And in that moment, the master spoke his words to Saul and cut through that fear and spoke his words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting against me? This is a powerful question. And maybe even more powerful and meaningful to us when we understand its implications. When Jesus asks to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Perhaps in Saul's mind, he didn't know why this Lord was speaking to him like that. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, who, who are you? And in fact, that's the very next question that Saul would ask. Who are you? I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting those that would go against God. But here Jesus is not just speaking to the persecution or the prosecution that Saul is leading. Jesus is showing Saul that he closely identifies with the church that he set up. I think somebody needs to know this this morning. That Jesus is walking through your hurt. He's walking through your pain. He sees your tears that you cry. 
He understands your heart because he never left you. He never forsake you. The Bible tells us that he is closer than a brother. It tells us that he, he knows our sorrows because he's familiar with our sorrows. He lived our sorrows with us. And that in this moment, in this time, he feels the persecution of the church, not because he sees it, but because he's going through it with them. Mom, dad, I want to tell you something. God sees the heartache that you're going through. He knows the trouble that you face. He knows what's going on in your heart and your life because he's right there next to you. When you feel all alone, when you feel like it doesn't matter to anybody else, when you feel like, like nobody gets you, he's right there with you. He gets it. He understands when you feel lonely, when you feel sad, when you feel depressed, when you have anxiety in your life. He knows. And it's like he's going through it with you because he's right there suffering alongside of you. But here's the difference, church, that our God has a way around all of it. He is the answer for your situation. He is the person that you can call out and make a difference in your life. You can't do it on your own, but when we rely on him, he is there. Jesus takes your struggle seriously. He knows the tears, he's moved by them, he's persuaded by your prayers, and he is touched by your trials. Acts chapter nine, verse five, we find out Saul's response to that question, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> Who are you? What a powerful question. There, there are questions in our life that we always struggle with. Like, you know, what's our purpose in life? Or, or, or why do bad things happen to good people? Or, 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 or why does this have to hurt so much? Or where is God in all of this anyway? These are all incredible questions that you and I struggle with. We, we look for, we try to find, but I want you to know something that even though those are good questions, maybe Saul's question is better than all of those because he says, who are you, Lord? I, I need you to understand something, church, that as Christians, we, we have to come to the terms of that question. Each and every one of us on this planet are gonna to have to come to a term to answer, who are we to Jesus? Who are we to him? Is Jesus the Lord of our life? Is Jesus just a good person? Is Jesus just a prophet or a wise man that had great sayings? Is, is he a model to live after? Or is Jesus something else? Is he the son of God that was slain for your sins and my sins? Is he the son of God that was risen up on the third day that had come alive under the power of the Holy Spirit? Is Jesus the one that stands in between us and the Father that says, come to me, all you are heavy and weary and I'll give you rest. Is Jesus the one that said, I am life. Is Jesus the one that said, I am the bread of life. I am the water that you can, that have the water that you can drink and thirst no more. 
Each one of us has to come to grips with that question. But sadly, there are Christians out there that ask themselves that question, but never ask Jesus that question. Who are you, Lord? They wonder to themselves who Jesus is. And, and maybe they've gone through Sunday school and maybe they've been in church and they've lived their life as Christians, but they, they failed to ask Jesus who he is for them. And so they have decided that Jesus is just a friend. Jesus is, is just that guy that makes everything better. That, that Jesus is, is, is the opposite of evil. Whatever that is, Jesus is the opposite of evil. And while those things are true, it's an incomplete picture of Jesus. And their mind begins to fill in with all these wonderful things like, you know, if you just, uh, you can live however you want to, but if, as long as you say you're a Christian and you ask really nicely and you mean it with all your heart, Jesus will give you whatever you want. And, and friends, I, I want to lovely, lovingly tell you something. That, that scholars and theologians have a name for this. It's called idolatry. That even as Christians, we can, we can worship a God that isn't real in Jesus. Because instead of looking at the scripture and looking at his word and asking God who he is, we begin to make things up about who he is because we hope that he really won't judge us. That, that, that we hope that, that, that we have really a, a deal worked out with God, you know? That deal that says, well, you know, I, I can be a Christian, but I, I, I don't, I don't, have to, I, I don't have to associate with the church. That, that, that deal that says, well, you know, I, I, I love Jesus with all my heart, but, you know, this, uh, I, I just need to unwind at the end of the day and, and just the, the, the drugs and the alcohol, they, they just help me feel a little bit better about my life so I can be a better person. You know, that, that deal that says, well, I really do love my wife, but... It's just kind of tough right now. Friends, I want to tell you something. Jesus sits on the throne of heaven and he is the judge of all and he has forgiveness waiting for you. But you have to come to him on his terms, not your own. He wants to change your life. But in order to do that, you have to be willing to change you can't hold on to one way and grab a hold of him. You have to recklessly let go and give yourself completely over to him. Because Jesus answered Saul, and he said in verse 5, I am Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. I think it's interesting here that Jesus, even though at that time is a fairly common name, he didn't have to explain who he was. Jesus didn't say, you know, Saul, I'm the guy that, that died and rose again. He, he didn't have to say, I'm the, I, I'm the guy that taught and, and you disagreed with. He said, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. And Saul immediately knew who he was talking about. He immediately understood who Jesus was. And not only that it was Jesus, but that Jesus hadn't just died, but he had risen again. Saul came into belief in Christ in that moment that Jesus was not only real, 
that he was true, his word was true, and the testimony about him was true. And Saul, in that moment, made a decision that each and every one of us make when we hear and we believe and we see the truth of Christ, that not only is Jesus who he said he was, but there's something that it demands of us. And so he asked him the next logical question. Jesus, if you're Lord, Jesus, if you really rose from the dead, Jesus, if your word is really true. See, these are all implied questions when he found out who Jesus was. In Acts chapter 22, we see a recounting. As a matter of fact, all through the book of Acts, we see Saul who turned his name to Paul because he could no longer identify with the old sinful life, the old way of doing things. He had a new name written down in glory. And we see his testimony. And in in, in chapter 22, we find out that uh, a little bit more about that encounter. You see, in, in Acts chapter 22, we find out that Saul asks Jesus, what should I do, Lord? What should I do? It's pretty incredible because when When Saul asks, in some translations, we see this delineation, but when Saul asks, who are you, Lord? The Lord is not capitalized. It's all in lowercase. But in the next reference, we find out that the Lord is capitalized because it shows belief and obedience in him. He went from a lowercase Lord to uppercase Lord. See, friends, it's not just enough that you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, but it requires something of our lives. Submission, obedience, complete and total disregard for your former life. Jesus has come so that you and you and you and you can be changed. Saul says, what should I do, Lord? What should I do, Lord? The Lord responds in this moment. But we see that Jesus was asked this question before. He's asked the question by a rich young ruler. A rich young ruler approached Jesus and the disciples and he laid out his case before the Lord. He said, Lord, look at all that I've done. Good teacher, he says in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've done all this good stuff. I've kept all the commandments. I've done all this good stuff. And Jesus looked back at him And he said, sell all your possessions, follow me. You see, it's not just partial obedience, complete and total, utter submission to the Lord. Everything, all it takes to serve the Lord is everything you've got. That's it, nothing more and nothing less. But the problem here is this, 
we're afraid to ask that second question. The first question, no problem. Who are you, Lord? Everybody has a God-shaped hole in their life. They're searching for the one that can be the answer to their problems. They're searching for the answer to sin. Everybody wants to have the answer to their life's problems. But the second question is more difficult. It's more invasive, it's more challenging. Because if we ask that question in truth, then it shows that we must have a willingness to submit our lives completely over to the gospel of Christ. Completely over to the Lordship of who he is in our heart of hearts. What would you have me do? What would you have me do? We're scared because we don't wanna give up that thing in our life. We're scared because we don't wanna change who we are because we're so confident that who we are and what we're doing is right that we fail to recognize that we are going in the wrong way and that we're called to turn around and repent and go the opposite direction because that's what repentance actually means. A 180 degree turn. It means turning away from those old things and embracing God in fullness. Repentance actually means a change of attitude and mind. That one day I thought that this sin, one day I thought that this lifestyle, one day that I, I, I thought that this way of doing things was right and I realized it was wrong. And so I changed my heart and my attitude and now I'm going to Christ. I'm going to Christ. I'm going to Christ. We thought we were going the right way, but we're going the wrong way. We're going to hell and we change. And now we're going to Jesus. We're going to Jesus. We're going to Jesus. And folks, I wanna let you know something this morning, that there are people in this place, even in this room right now, that your attitude and your heart is not right and you're headed in the wrong direction. And you might've been able to ask who God was, but you're not willing to ask what you should do about it. And it is time to come up with that question. It is time to ask him, what kind of change does it require of me? What does it require of me? Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching salvation by works. I'm saying that you do have to come into repentance, that you do have to determine to live a life of holiness, that you do have to come in under submission to the word of God, which is the truth of our lives. Christ's legacy, the two most important questions we find. Who are you, Lord? What should I do? Now, when Saul asked that second question, the Lord gave him literal instructions to go into a place to find a person, that the person would find them, that he would be prayed for, that he would, one day he, in that prayer, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that scales would fall off his eyes. It was wonderful what happened. But ultimately, the question was, how do I come under submission under your Lordship? Would you stand with me all over this place? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord, I thank you and I love you and I praise you, Lord. For Lord, your word is true. 
And Lord, there are many people in this room who are, that are joining us online right now, that are watching, that have asked that question, who are you, Lord? And Lord, you have been so good and so faithful that whether or not we've even asked, Lord, you've grabbed a hold of us by the power of your spirit and you have our attention. But Lord, this morning, there are many of us that have believed in, in you with our minds, but have yet to yield to you with our lives. Lord, help us to have the courage and the faith to ask the question, what should I do if you are Lord? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna ask you a simple question. If you're here this morning and you need to ask the question to the Lord or the Lord is showing you things right now that you need to do that's different, that's a change in your life, because he is Lord. Would you just simply lift up your hands? I just wanna look all over this place. Yes, I see you, yes, I see you. I'm looking all over, yes, yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. I'm looking all over this place. I'm gonna hold on one more moment. This is a holy moment between you and the Lord. I'm looking all over this place just for a moment longer. Yes, I see you, sir. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Heavenly Father, yes, I see you. Thank you, ma'am. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, knowing, God, that we're a sinful people, Lord, but you are a loving and gentle Savior. Lord, you don't stand, Lord, simply in judgment, Lord, but you are a Redeemer, and you are our soon-coming King. And Lord, you, Lord, your judgment, Lord, your judgment is right and true, but Lord, you offer so much more than, than a punishment, Lord. Instead, Lord, you offer us life and freedom when we yield everything over to you. So Lord, I pray God that you would join the people, Lord, this morning that have raised their hands symbolically saying, Lord, that you're doing something in their heart and their life right now. Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that their chains would be broken, their sins would be washed away. Lord, and you would make them new for the very first time or maybe, Lord, for the hundredth time. Lord, I pray that as we ask that question, who are you and what do you want me to do with my life? Lord, that you would come and help us answer those in the powerful name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's just give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now for what he's done in people's hearts and lives this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. We love you. God is so good. He's so good, y'all. We have an incredible day in store for us, and I hope that you're a part of it. Christ's legacy, there are so many more people in our community that needs to ask those two questions to themselves. Who are, who is Jesus and what does he want me to do with my life? I promise you folks, when we begin to invite people into this place, they'll be challenged, but there's something true and fundam fundamental. They'll be changed. They'll be changed. They'll be changed.
But it takes a church. It takes you. It takes you. It takes you to be obedient to follow the Lord's direction in our life. We must be the church of God. We must be going out into all the world and preaching the gospel. We are the ones that compel them to come out on the highways and the byways and come in and sit and dine at the master's table. It's us. It's our job. It's our responsibility to show people where the life is. Amen? So let's go and show people where the life is. Heavenly Father, bless these folks. Lord, bless this church. Give us the words to say and the power and the courage, Lord, to speak and to challenge and to help bring about change in people's lives through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's go be a light in the world. Hallelujah.